What are you afraid of? Earthquake, being buried alive. So I always think about like stashing water underneath my desk in case the house falls down. I don't want to be on fire. Not a fan of water. The ocean, because it's like space, but on Earth. Sharks. Sharks. Drowning. Drowning. I'm like afraid of dying without having ever really lived. Growing old. Death. Death. Dying. Dying. Without having to live my best life, I guess. <sighs> Damn, that's deep. Um, that we're not living in a simulation, and this is real. It's interesting how that, that question would, uh, would change, your answer would change depending on your stage of life, um, your ethnicity maybe even, your economic class. I think your geographical location, it changes. Like, if I had to guess, I'd say that clip was maybe filmed in California, people referring to earthquakes. Does that make anybody's top 10 list of fears? No, like sharks down at Wasaga Beach, like it, it, it location, frostbite on the other hand, you know, stranded in a snowy ditch, that may make our top 10. Oceans, not so much. And it's, it's even interesting, I found the difference between US and Canada. The, the fears with a lot of similarities, but there's some major differences between these two cultures and our fears can expose the differences. Chapman University has conducted an annual survey for the last 10 years or so of what Americans are afraid of. Number four, uh, mass or random shootings. Not that it doesn't happen in Canada, might not make our top 10 or 20 or 100. Um, medical bills, huge fear in the States. Less so here. Um, so a Canadian Angus Reid poll from 2017 showed a variety of fears from the ridiculous, at least I thought so, clowns, aliens, zombies, surveys. That was clever. That's something I would have said. What are you afraid of? Surveys. To, um, to the existential, fear of being alone, failure, the unknown. Top five, and some of these might kind of feel universal, health issues, Death, economic situation, bad things happening to family and friends, speaking in public. Beyond the differences between both lists, both surveys uh, come to a very interesting conclusion. And again, this is not a Canadian or an American thing. More of us are more afraid about something than ever before. Uh, they found that in essence, Many are living in a state of fear. Now, if this survey were taken in the last couple months, do you think those already high numbers would go up or down regarding anxiety or fear? For sure up, for sure. So what's all this doing to us? I got to tell you just kind of anecdotally, and maybe this goes without saying, but in the last 20 years of ministry, there has never been, as far as I'm concerned, a more disruptive, a more scary, a more anxiety-ridden upheaval than the season that we are living in right now. I think many of you would affirm that. And, and there's people in extreme ditches, right? On one side, people who live like every doorknob they touch may be their last, right? And then on the other side, folks who are convinced that the government, you know, is going to bust into their homes and forcibly 
take a vaccine that contains a microchip and the mark of the beast, right? Now, do you think there's such a thing, though, as a healthy sense of fear? Like, could, could fear act as a, as a good thing? I see, I see nodding heads. Yeah, I think it can. I, it works like a, a protective shield whenever we have a, a feeling of a danger or threat. You know, our instincts can be good in that way. In a storm, when you hear the high winds, it, it can unnerve you enough to cause you to seek shelter. Locking the doors at night, it's a good thing, right? Um, and when we feel afraid, and, uh, you know, Peter could explain this better, David could explain this better, but there's a, there's a metabolic uh, change in, in our organs, you know, that prepares us for what has been uh, called the fight or flight response. And so in extreme cases, fear uh, um, doesn't actually make us run away. It can actually make us freeze, right? Which is why sometimes we talk about being paralyzed with fear. And that's when fear isn't helpful. And, and there's more than one way to, to freeze, isn't there? Like fear can keep us from changing, keep us from trying, from doing, from risking. Fear can keep us from loving, from giving, from committing, from sharing. Think about, about what having a fear of inadequacy, uncertainty, failure, rejection, FOMO, fear of missing out, right? Fear of change or losing control or being judged or what has that done to you? What is it doing to you? How about fear of a pandemic? Fear of our future. You know, in the early days of COVID, especially, you'd hear a lot of of well-meaning statements posted on Facebook or whatever, like faith over fear, or, you know, fear is the absence of faith. And, And I might argue that fear actually is faith. It's just faith in the wrong things, okay? You could say fear is placing your faith in the what-ifs, right? What, What if the economy falls apart? What if I lose my job? What if someone I love gets cancer? What if I never get married? Uh, What if I do get married and it's to a jerk? You know, what if I marry a jerk and we have kids that take on their jerk DNA and their jerkiness is an eternal reminder that I married a jerk. And the fears just go on and on. What if, what if, what if? Fear is placing our faith, you could say, in a worst case scenario. And, and the good news, though, is that according to 2 Timothy 1 verse 7, it says that God has not given us what? A spirit of fear. Let's say it together. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but what? But of power and of love and of a sound mind. You know, this December, I, I want to talk about the way that fear can shape our lives, dictate our lives in ways that, that actually go to war against God's dream for you, um, about his dream for the way that we should live, the way that he wants us to have a full life. And when you read the Christmas story, going back all the way to the birth of John the Baptist and his parents, Zechariah and Elizabeth, the message from heaven is fear not. 
Fear not. And then notice how many times that same message comes out in the Christmas story. Fear not. Did you know the phrase, do not be afraid, appears over a hundred times in the Bible? It seems like it's something God wants us to get. And there's a reason. Fear might arguably be the number one barrier for you doing what God wants you to do and to become who God wants you to become. Fear alters our perspective. Fear makes circumstances everything. Fear silences truth. We sang that this morning. And what it silences most, I think, is the truth of the power and the presence of the living God. I want to tell you a story about Elijah. Let me just remind you first of two um, realities that are operating in our life. You know, the reality of what we see and then the reality of what we don't see. And, and the one we see is the reality of being faced with something we fear. And, and that reality um, is, is real. And there's another reality, the unseen world. We don't see it, but it's equally as real. Um, it, in the Old Testament, it's, it's, it's one of my favorite stories, but it's not maybe one that you're automatically familiar with, kind of tucked away in the Old Testament. Let me read it to you from the message translation, which is a little more of a modern translation. Um, One time when the king of Aram was at war with Israel, after consulting with his officers, he said, at such and such a place, I want an ambush set. Now the holy man, this is Elisha, okay? How would you like to be called or known as the holy man or the holy woman? Uh, Elisha sent a message to the king of Israel. Watch out when you're passing this place because Aram has set an ambush there. So the king of Israel sent word concerning the place of which the holy man had warned him. This kind of thing happened all the time. And the king of Aram was furious over all this. And so he called his officers together and he said, tell me who's leaking information to the king of Israel? Who is the spy in our ranks? But one of the men said, Uh, No, my master, dear king, it's not any of us. It's Elisha, the prophet in Israel. He tells the king of Israel everything you say, even what you whisper in your bedroom. And the king said, go and find out where he is. I'll send someone and capture him. The report came back. He's in Dothan. Then he dispatched horses and chariots, an impressive fighting force. They came by night and surrounded the city. Early in the morning, as a a servant of the holy man got up and went out, surprise, horses and chariots surrounding the city. The young man exclaimed, oh, master, what shall we do? Elisha said, don't worry about it. There are more on our side than on their side. Then Elisha prayed, oh God, open his eyes and let him see. The eyes of the young man were opened. A wonder, the whole mountainside, full of horses and chariots of fire surrounding Elisha. Now, three important things I took note of in this story. First was the reality of the fear. Um, The reality beyond the fear and the trust in that greater but unseen reality. So let's talk about all three. First, look, there's the reality of the fear. The servant was right. 
They were surrounded by a large and powerful army. The army was real. Those were very much real swords, okay? They were pointy. They'd lop off appendages very easily. I don't know if your head is appendage, but it gets lopped off just as easily. And every time the Bible says, do not fear, it's not because there's not something to fear. It's because there is. So this isn't about minimizing things. It's about seeing the reality beyond our eyes. And so the second thing is that there is a reality beyond our fear. It's a counterbalance to our fear, something that puts it all in a different context. And here it was, the presence and the power of the living God. This is why Elisha could tell his his servant, don't be afraid. What you see isn't all that's going on. It's not the only reality. And I love how he added, there's more on our side than there are on theirs. Let me give you one of the most important spiritual truths that you can ever take hold of. And it's this, you don't ever have to fear doing what God wants you to do. You don't ever have to fear becoming the person God wants you to become, following where God wants to lead you, committing to what God wants you to commit to, giving to what God wants you to give to. Because no matter uh, what fear may be involved in, um, uh, doing it on your end, I, I want you to know that God is more. He's more. In fact, will you say that with me? He is more. Say that again. He is more. And here's what I've seen in other people's lives throughout my ministry. People will get spiritually awakened. They'll start following God. They begin to get a sense of what God would have them do. Um, They even take specific steps that they should take. Um, But then they don't. They start to freeze. They get afraid. They're afraid of what they'll lose, maybe, or or what might happen or how things might change. Um, The young woman, maybe, who knows that she shouldn't be living with her boyfriend outside of marriage, much less having sex, but she is and she does. Why? Maybe she's afraid that if she moves out or if she refuses to have sex with him, she'll lose him. She doesn't believe God is more or has more. So the fear is all that she sees, all that she lives by. How about the guy who works hard at at what he does, takes his career, uh, his family, his earnings seriously? He's a good guy. He provides for his family and he dreams of the future. He knows he's not generous. He's more of a tipper than a tither. In fact, something like a, say, a 10% tithe would keep him up at night. Uh, He knows what he's supposed to do. He even knows that God promises to bless his life if he does. But all he sees is the money that he wouldn't have and the fear of not having it. He doesn't believe God has more. Uh, That's what fear does. You don't say yes when you know you're supposed to say yes. You don't say no when you know you're supposed to say no because you're afraid, because you don't think God has more. Now, some of you might be thinking, uh, look, I've tried to do what God wants me to do, and it didn't go so well. Things got messy. 
I once read an article that was written by a, a commercial airline pilot, and it was all about turbulence. Do any of y'all like turbulence? Really? You weirdos. Um, I don't like turbulence. I have filled a few sickness bags in my life. I like to hand it to the pilot as I leave. Thank you for that flight. You know, when you get whacked by turbulence at 37,000 feet, it, it can be, for some of us, the most unnerving, scary feelings in the world. And I felt a lot better after this article because it turns out turbulence is pretty normal. It's practically harmless. It feels way worse than it actually is. In fact, according to this article, it is almost impossible for a plane to get, you know, flipped upside down and, and thrown into a tailspin and otherwise flung from the sky in some giant gust. In other words, no matter how bad it feels, the plane is not going to crash, at least not from turbulence. Now, it may freak you out, but it's normal. It's, it's a convenience issue. It's not a safety issue. When the pilot changes altitude in search of smoother conditions, it's by and large a for the passenger's comfort in my stomach. It's not because the pilots are worried that the wings are going to fall off or that they'll be, you know, air punched to the ground. They, they want to minimize the coffee stains and the vomit stains. Now, every year worldwide, only about 100 people are injured through turbulence. Half of them are flight attendants. And so among regular passengers, only about 50 people a year, 50 out of 2 billion who fly every year, at least used to fly uh, before this pandemic. And, and you wouldn't even have those 50 if they'd had their seatbelts on. Church, we're going to go through some turbulence. You are going to go through some turbulence. And even doing what God wants you to do, it's normal. In fact, it's part of what makes obeying God an act of faith. It's doing it in the face of fear, in the face of turbulence that counts. And you can do, uh, you can do that with confidence. You can obey God with confidence. Why? Because God says, I have more. I am more. This is uh, another big idea I think you need to get down. Just because there is opposition, just because there is conflict, messiness, challenge, you know, if doors don't open, if things don't go smoothly, God must not be in it. Or if he is, he's not coming through for you. What if it's the opposite? That obeying in spite of the turbulence is the way we, we flesh out our faith in God even more. Like I heard someone talking about how they spent a few years in, in this unique inner city ministry where they, they moved in uh, to live with the poorest of the poor and they served them and they cared for them and they did life with them, shared Christ with them. It wasn't an easy assignment. And because it wasn't easy, here's what she saw again and again. A young couple would feel led to join them and, and move into that neighborhood. But then they'd have a hard time raising support or maybe difficulty finding a job or a place to live. And, and almost instantly they'd assume it must not have been God's will for them after all. Because of the turbulence, 
You know, not only wasn't God being more, they assumed it wasn't even God leading them to begin with. That is such a messed up theology. Folks, I I want you to get this down. God is in the fear and he's in the turbulence and he is more. He is greater. God is always more when you're asking uh, or when you're doing what he asks you to do. He's always more, which is why he says over and over again, fear not, do not be afraid. Because yes, um, what you fear is real, but there is an unseen reality beyond the fear. And the call on your life is to trust in that greater reality. Now, some of you might be thinking, but what if what I fear happens? Or what if I get sick and even die? And that's like the worst possible thing that can happen, right? To die? Let me um, put on my pastoral care hat as tenderly as I can and tell you absolutely, 100%, that is going to happen. Uh, You can live your whole life in fear of it, but you ain't going to avoid it, okay? And let me say to those of you who are Christ followers this morning, whether you're here in person or watching, why, why would that be so bad? Um, really, what, why fear death as though it were the ultimate bad thing? I mean, technically, that's when all the bad ends, Right? That's when the great starts. I mean, even as a Christian kid, I remember in my limited understanding of life and death, I would peer down that toboggan hill that seemed perilous, you know, and push myself down and I'd yell, sing friends are friends forever at my funeral, you know? I got it at age nine. Can I tell you this in all seriously? I want to say this to the Klauks. I want to say this to Dagmar. I want to say this to my, to everyone who, who is well acquainted with grief this morning. When a Christ follower dies, they are not sad. Okay? They're not saying to themselves, man, this sucks. I wish I was back on earth. Um, we're the ones who are sad at the separation and the sense of loss and rightly so. But again, even when we go through times of sadness and grief, he is more. God is more. Well, some of you are wondering maybe how this Elisha story ended up. Um, how did the God who is more reality play out for him? Well, Uh, Just to sum up, the Aram army are are about to attack Elisha. And Elisha calls out to God to strike them all blind. They're blind. And God did it. And then Elisha did something that's hilarious to me. While they're panicking, all sort of fumbling around in the dark, he says, follow me, guys. And I don't know how they did it. If they had to form like a long conga line all hands on hips in the dark, but he walked this whole army to the city of Samaria, which was, which was ally territory. And Elisha says, now Lord, open their eyes. And bibbidi bobbidi boop, their eyes were opened and they're surrounded 
by the Israeli army. I mean, it would have made a great movie scene. And then the last verse of the story goes like this. And after that, the raiding bands of Aram didn't bother Israel anymore. Um, This story started with a real circumstance, and it would provoke anyone into fear. Uh, It certainly did in Elisha's servant. But God opened his eyes to see this unseen reality. Heaven's army ready to do battle on their behalf. And it ends with the faithfulness of God, who is more, more than circumstances, more than fear, more than what you see with your natural eyes. Elisha's faith and prayer unveiled the reality behind what could not be seen by the human eye. And you can do the exact same thing. You know that? Um, Because when you are doing what God wants you to do, when you are becoming who God wants you to become, God is always going to be more than the fear. He'll always be more than the circumstances. I don't know what that particular thing is for you this morning. Um, What is being maybe raised to the surface as we talk about this morning? I don't know what fear you might be facing right now. I suspect for many of you, it's, a, it's at least COVID adjacent. I don't know what, um, I don't know what God is asking you to do. Um, what he's asking you to obey, what he's asking you to give, um, what he's asking you to submit to. Here's what I do know. What you need to do is look it in the eye. Look, look that fear right in the eye and tell yourself, God is more. God is more. No weapon formed against me will prosper because I'm going to see a victory. God is more. Somebody say amen to that. Amen. Why don't you stand as we sing together? Thank you.